belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for July 18th, 2021 is called The Choice is Ours. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Pratt Place Barn in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We've all read or seen the story of the collapse of the condos in Surfside, Florida. And I don't want to in any way minimize the very real suffering of so many, but there is a lesson here that we really can't miss. Choices have consequences. We all know this. Look, we we all know this intuitively. We all know this experientially with that. But in the moment, the, the trick is in the moment is that the consequence of specific choices aren't clear. They aren't really clear in the moment. We're learning as this, they unpacked the rubble down there in Surfside that the condo board knew that there were issues with the building for years. But they kept selling units. I mean, after all, prices were going up, housing market was hot, they were making money. But while the price of the condo was going up, so was the cost of the repairs. The last estimate that the board was given to make the necessary repairs was $15 million. That's a lot of money to invest in something that you've already invested a lot of money in to buy. We we can all get that. And as a result, neighbors and residents argued and took sides against each other, locking the whole community into a struggle over who would take responsibility for the repairs and how much it was going to cost. While they argued, the price just kept getting higher and the needs for the repairs kept getting more urgent. By the time they'd begun to really understand the situation, it was too late. The warning signs were there for years, so obvious now looking back, right? Cracks growing in the foundation mirrored the cracks in the social relationships of those living in the building. As the rescue and recovery workers sort through the rubble, we need to ask, is there a lesson here for us? And how does this jive with this last chapter of Isaiah that we're looking at this week? Well, I think there's a lot there for us. So in the past, when we have approached a book in Scripture, a portion of Scripture, I usually get to the end of that study, and man, I'm just jazzed. I'm just full up. Like I can remember finally tackling Revelation. Revelation scared me for so long. And a couple summers ago we did it. And after I got done with Revelation, I'm like, I love this book. This is incredible. How have I missed this for so long? Why haven't I done this earlier? I do not feel that way about Isaiah. I'm going to be real honest with y'all. It has been a slog for me. It has been really hard. I feel like I am crawling across the finish line with Isaiah. Now that says a lot more about me than it says about the book. But it also says something, I think, about 
how necessary it is to look at all of Scripture through Jesus. Because if we were to look at Isaiah, if we were to do our study without having Jesus, without encountering and knowing and being informed by the Messiah that that Isaiah hints at and looks forward to, y'all, this would be a tough, tough book to swallow. It would be really hard. And that's how we kind of tried to read it, is in the context, what it meant to the people with that. Now, maybe for my own edification, hopefully for y'all's as well, the next thing we're going to do is look at Romans, but we're going to look specifically at how the New Testament church interpreted Isaiah. We're going to study Romans, but we're going to do it now knowing fully the context and kind of the source material for much of what we're going to encounter in Romans, we're going to see really what the New Testament folks did with it. And I can tell you, I am genuinely excited about that. I I am really looking forward to that. That's going to be our study this fall as we go into that. Well, let's look at Isaiah 66. So we have to remember that Isaiah 66, just, just going back to the very first time we preached this back in January, that Isaiah is not a comprehensive story. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's not told the epic quest of the hero that starts and goes through tension and then the tension is resolved with that. Isaiah is a collection of sermons that were produced over about 150 years or cover at least 150 years worth of time period, depending on what you, how you work that out. And it goes through many epochs of many different people in, in situations that are happening to the people with that. So the ending is not, it's not your Hollywood ending. The last chapter is not going to put a nice neat bow on things and tell you what happened to the hero later on in the years and did they get married and what did their kids do and stuff like that. It's, it doesn't do that. It ends very abruptly and it ends very brusquely. But it does end with a warning and a promise. Like most, like, like much of what we've encountered in Isaiah, there is both warning and promise. So starting with verse 1, it says, This is what the Lord said. The heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is the place I will rest? My hand made them. That is how they came to be, says the Lord. I show special favor to the humble and contrite. Here's one of the promises. To respect what I have to say or give attention. We talked about that, paying attention. To give attention to what I have to say. And he says, the one who slaughters a bull also strikes down a man. The one who sacrifices a lamb also breaks a dog's neck. The one who presents an offering includes pig's blood in it. The one who offers incense also praises an idol. They have decided, now here's key, they have decided to behave this way. They enjoy these disgusting practices, so I will choose severe punishment for them. This is the warning. I will bring upon them what they dread, because I called and no one responded. I spoke and they did not listen. They did evil before me. They did not choose, they, they chose to do what displeases me. Listen to the Lord's message, you who respect the word. And then it goes on to give a, a, a just this expansive. It expands on those promises and those warnings with that. And it talks a lot about that. And then we get down to verse 12 and it says, This is what the Lord says, Look, I am ready to extend 
to her prosperity. And he, he's using Jerusalem here as a metaphor for the people of God. So it's talking about Jerusalem, but it's really talking about the people of God as a whole. Um, I'm ready to extend her prosperity that will flow like a river, the riches of nations that will flow to her in streams like flood that floods its banks. You will nurse from her breast and be carried by her side. You will play on her knees. And I love this feminine characteris- characterization that God uses presenting this. As a mother consoles a child, so I will console you, and you will be consoled over Jerusalem. When you see this, you will be happy and be revived. And then it goes on to this little postscript. If you'll notice in your Bibles, most of you, everything that we've been reading so far is in poetic form. And then you get a block of text, which means that somebody at the end there came and was probably a later author was reflecting on what had happened and added something to it. Doesn't mean it's less inspired. It just means that it was, it was probably a tag-on, not by the person who wrote the previous verses with that. And then it just ends. And then it's just like over. And we're kind of left with, well, now what? Now what do we do? But like I said, he, he's saying clearly in here, listen, pay attention. Your choices have consequences. I am ready. I am working. And I will bless people. But there are people who are going to choose to ignore this. There are people who are going to continue to act like they can play both sides against the middle. That's what he's saying when he says, hey, you offer, you come and you offer your offering to me, but you're also burning incense to idols. You slaughter the cow for a sacrifice, but you also break the dog's necks, which was disgusting in that cultural context. It was a really evil act. See, there's going to be people that think they can have it both ways. To extend our metaphor, you can, you can buy the condo and have it appreciating value while ignoring the cost to maintain it, while ignoring what it takes to keep it stable. Y'all, this is super convicting for me. This is super convicting for me when I think about, well, what, what, what about me? What am I doing? You see, the big idea here is choices have consequences, but maybe not in the way we think, right? Because in the immediacy, in the, in the moment, it's hard to really understand the full impact of the choices that we're making in those small moments. Our choices as humans are always in response, and this is important also, is our choices as humans are always in response to what God is doing. Look, God is the hero of Isaiah, not people. And even though he is saying, pay attention, choices have consequences, I'm ready to bless, there is punishment coming for those who digress, ultimately it is about God. We are not creating this thing. We are always responding to God. It is always on God's initiative that these things are happening. So our job then is to flow with. Our job is to pay attention, to understand where God is at work, what God is doing, how God works, and then to flow with, to tune our life to what God is doing. To orient ourselves around the creative capacities of God. Or suffer the consequences if we don't. 
not because God is malicious. It's not because God is bad. It's not because like the some of the popular opinion of God, that God is this severe taskmaster waiting in heaven, just waiting for us to step in line so he can slap us down. It's not like that at all. But for our choices to have any meaning, there has to be consequences. There are theologians and philosophers and people have struggled with this for eons, but, but essentially, if, if our choices to have any meaning, there have to be consequences. We understand this intuitively, even though we may not like it. God is always offering us so much more than we can imagine, but never forcing or coercing us. The ultimate tragedy of life is not taking God seriously, not responding to God's invitation, not understanding the reality of our own agency. And we struggle with this as we read Isaiah because we struggle, we see what we see people assigning to God these things. And God at times seems a vengeful, bloodthirsty God. We have to understand that in this context, people were assigning directly all of history to God. They were saying God is the one who ascribes life and death, the weather and the wars, the seasons and the empires. That nothing happens without God's blessing. It's all attributed to God. And we kind of look at that and we go, isn't that sweet? Isn't that cute? Those rustic, uncultured people, don't they know that weather patterns are controlled by jet streams and pressure systems? Not by a divine being punishing people or blessing people because of their actions. And yeah, look, there's a lot to learn from science. And I don't ascribe, I don't view God like the people in Isaiah did. I'll just tell you right out. Because we have Jesus, because we can learn more, because we have more, we have more capacity to understand, but we can also go too far the other way. We can quickly start to think that, you know what, it's all about us. If there is a problem to be solved, we'll, we'll solve it. We'll solve it through science. We'll solve it through technology. We'll solve it through more understanding, more education. And we, and we move God all the way out of the picture. And we start to think, we're the ones who get to decide the consequences. We're the ones who get to set the rules. We're the ones who get to decide whether the building stays up or the building falls. And quickly, or maybe not so quickly, but eventually, we're going to find out how wrong we were. Now, we're going to try something a little different this morning. Um, I'm going to ask you all a question, and I want you to kind of discuss it among yourselves with the people around you. Just two, three, four, five of you. I want you to ask this question. I want you to think about this. Where was there a time in life where you wish someone would give you a given you a sterner warning. Where is a time in life where someone, where you did something and the consequence was really not good? But you may have been innocent. You may not have known, really, that that was going to happen. Like, nobody warned you 
that if you did this, this bad thing would happen. And I'll, gi- I'll give you an example to start off. This is, this is not a really tragic thing, okay? But so uh, Jane and I's daughter, Hannah, she was probably about, I think she was 13 or 14, and we were on a road trip. It was just a, she and I were riding down the road, and we're zipping down the freeway 65, 75 miles an hour, and Hannah's brushing her teeth. And I'm like, why, why are you doing that? She goes, well, I wanted to brush my teeth. And I'm like, where are you? Bitch, I'll just spit out the window. Yeah, exactly. Really. No, no. And so I could have responded. Hannah, you just go ahead. I will love you no matter what. But instead I said, you don't want to do that. You, you don't want to do that. But she decided that she was going to do that anyway. And inevitably, we can all imagine what happened, right? It did not work out well for her as she tried to spit a mouthful of toothpaste um, out the window at 70 miles an hour in the car. Quite funny looking back on it, but there are a lot of things in life like that. So I want you to take just a few minutes, turn your chair around, find a couple people. Where was a time you wish someone had warned you more about what was going to happen? So, we'll, I guess we'll stop the podcast here for a minute while this discussion takes place. So, do that, and we'll come back together. Just, just a minute more, and then we'll come back together. And I know not everybody's going to get a chance to share, but hopefully this will spur future conversations.
All right, let's uh, let's come back here. It's an interesting question, though, isn't it? As you think about that, and those of us who are parents, I know we were like, "Well, dang it, I did tell them, <laughs> I did warn them, and they did it anyway." Friends, we have to pay attention here. Look, do I think that God is most accurately described and displayed in the great crushing, vengeful God of wrath described in much of Isaiah? No. But I also reject the idea that we can dismiss all the warnings, all the invitations, all the promises presented here, and there be real, no real significant repercussion with that. If I, and I asked myself as I was doing this, if I struggle with the language here, do I really understand the danger? So here's another thought experiment. Let me, let's, let's say that we're all on the board. We all own a condo in Surfside. We're all in that building, right? And an, an engineer comes in one day and he says, look, you have to fix these problems. If you don't, on a night, in the summer, you are going to be asleep and you don't know the time or the date. And all your family is going to be gathered there. And all of a sudden, with a roar and a crack, the building will fall and you will be crushed like a grape. Your blood will squirt out and they will talk about it for generations. And people, there will be wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And people will come from all over the world and stand around the rubble and say, how great was the fall of the condo. Do you think they would have done anything different? Right. And even though I'm exaggerating, like, yo, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Whole families were crushed in an instant in their sleep. The rubble extended out for miles, the dust for miles. Rescue teams from all over the world came in to help try to save people and pull it out. And I can guarantee you, for generations, this will be talked about. Now, does that, let's say our imaginary prophet building inspector there, does that mean that he was mean? I don't think so. I think he's trying to save lives, right? I think that's what the prophets are doing here. Even though we can look back through the lens of Jesus and go, okay, they were ascribing things not the way we would describe them. They were, they were describing things not the way we would do it. Look, they were, they were genuinely motivated by compassion. They didn't want people to be crushed in the rubble. And maybe what they were warning of specifically, we understand now in a different way in light of the new covenant, in light of, of what we are understanding through progressive revelation to understand about God and the Bible and stuff. Still, they were doing the best they could with what they Which brings us to this, this question, what about us? 
Because y'all, we got warnings all around us. We have warnings every day from medical professions, medical professionals, mental health professionals, economists, scientists regarding climate, climate change. Y'all, we don't lack for information. Or as I heard it said, our problem isn't comprehension. Our problem is commitment. Our problem isn't comprehension. Look, we know doing certain things a certain way isn't the best way to do that. Our problem is really committing to doing it the right way, the healthy way, the way that leads to life, the way that leads to flourishing. What are we going to choose, Grace Church? What are we going to choose, friends? And, or better, what are we choosing? What are we choosing? What are we going to choose to believe about ourselves? What are we choosing to believe about ourselves and about other people? That God is, an, is a tribal God that some people are in, some people are out? That, yeah, there's grace unless you're one of those people, and then you first have to change that, and then you get grace? Is that, is that what we're choosing? Or we believe, no, grace is for everybody. God is reaching out to everyone, everywhere, regardless. And that everyone is welcome at the table. What are we choosing to believe about people? What are we choosing to believe about the church? Church is just another place to go have Jesus pimp your life out or meet with people that look like us, smell like us, speak the same language, do the same thing, or is this to be the place that we are discerning what God is doing in the world and then trying to give witness to that, to bear witness to that, to demonstrate that to the world? That this is a calling to be a part of the people who are to witness the kingdom of God on earth. It's not just a part-time Sunday commitment, but it's a whole life endeavor. And it's not just about our personal preferences. It's about discerning what God is calling us to do. Is that, what are we choosing to believe about that? What are we choosing to believe that we're really in control of? Am I really exceptional? Can I really ignore the maintenance on my car and just expect it to keep running? Am I, am I that, that one person who is exempt from the laws of nature and oil change maintenance? What about my body? What am I putting into? Am I really, am I really choosing to say, hey, you know what? I, I know all the stats out there. I know everything about it. But I'm pretty much sure it's not going to happen to me. Hey, you know what? Maybe it won't. In some ways, maybe it won't. Chances are it will. But what are we choosing to do with this? Well, I'm going to leave you with those questions. I'm going to leave us with these questions this week. As we finish Isaiah, as we reflect on what we've learned, what are we paying attention to? And what are the choices we're making on those assumptions? And as we get into the summer, we're really going to talk more about how that plays out in the life of the church. We're going to talk about how that plays out in the life of shalom and hospitality, how that plays out and what it means to be a place where people become, or they belong, and then they become, and then they believe. And then, like I said, as we start into August, into the fall of the school year, we're going to look at Romans, which I'm super excited about. Um, we're going to look at Romans in dialogue with Isaiah going forward with but these are all choices that we have to make. 
Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.